0: Let's just come to Him, let's just ask Him to make these words alive in us, and to take His words, which are His truth breathed out to us, and to turn them into reality in our lives, a reality which brings change through His Spirit. So let's pray. Yes Lord, indeed we come and we worship the everlasting God, the one who was, is, and ever will be. You are our God. Lord, thank you that you're not an impersonal God, but that you are a God who makes yourself real to us. You are a God who's breathed out to us your very thoughts and given us your word. And we have it in tangible form in a book. But Lord, as we read the words on these pages, make them alive to us, Lord. Change us to be like you, Jesus Christ. And we know you've promised to do that. So continue with that change now. You started the work in us. You continue the work. And you will complete it. And one day, we will be like you, Jesus Thank you for that hope. Guide us now through your spirit, we pray. Open our ears, loosen my tongue, and may we all come under your word. Amen. Well, it's really good to get back into the book of Colossians again. So uh, I'm going to do the reading from the beginning of the chapter right through to verse 20. Um, And so read through with me from Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that's Jesus Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the beginning. Sorry, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his his cross. And I'm just going to read the next two verses. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I Paul became a minister now I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and we're going to read the first four verses Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 to 4 By the word of his power, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now we're going to have to recap because we've been in lockdown for such a long time, so I'm going to recap in a few minutes. And if you need to go back and have a look, And listen to the last sermons you might have to. But firstly, just a reminder that this passage and this book was written because there was a power struggle on for the hearts and the minds of the Colossian church. You see, they'd come across all the latest ideas being on the main trade route for the Roman Empire. They'd come across Greek ideas. They'd come across Greek thinking. They'd come across thinking from all over the world, but they'd also come under the influence of Judaizers. Those who taught that Jesus Christ is not enough, but you also need to keep to Jewish traditions. And what is the conclusion that the Apostle Paul comes to right in the beginning of the book? It's this, that faith in Christ alone is necessary for salvation. If you want to be saved, all you need is faith in Jesus Christ alone. You don't need anything else to be saved. And then he challenged, he challenged the Colossian church and he challenged us as we read this in 2020. Is our thinking, that is, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ here at WebC, is our thinking still Christ-centered and is it word-shaped? Is our thinking Christ-centered and word-shaped? Andrew reminded us of that last week in his word of encouragement. Do we align ourselves by the word of God in our everyday lives? Are we still thinking correctly? Are we still Christ-centered? Or perhaps we're being affected by situational ethics, by the thinking of the society around us. As we look around at the potential size and impact of the pandemic on this country, and as we look around the world to see where it still is having a great effect, are we reminded that our God is sovereign? Or do we give ourselves over to mass hysteria? And then the second thing that we were reminded of in the first 14 verses was this, a very practical reminder. Do we pray meaty prayers for each other? In other words, when we pray for each other and if we pray for each other, and I hope you do pray for each other, do we pray prayers which have content in them. Paul prayed for the church. He prayed that they would bear fruit in every good work. So when I look around in the church and I pray for my brothers, do I pray, Lord, may you give Alan fruit in his life, every good fruit that you make to come alive in him. When I look at my brother Siri, Lord, will you bring him to a knowledge of you in a growing intensity in his life? Lord, when I think of my sister, Anna Berry, may you strengthen them with all power. With all your power, according to your glorious might. May you give them endurance. May you give them patience through the trials of life. And Lord, may you give all of us real joy. You see, do we pray with content? Or do we just pray, Lord, bless the church. Bless our missionaries. Amen. Do we give thanks to the Lord for what he's doing amongst us? Do we give thanks to him for how he's delivered us as a nation through what we've just come through? And as we look ahead to the economic forecast, and there's a lot of doom around do we look to the Lord and give Him thanks for our day-by-day day necessities that He provides? for? And above all, do we give Him thanks and praise that He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son? Does that still hit us? I was once a sinner, but now I'm saved. Thank you, Lord. Are we are thankful people. So those were the reminders from the first 14 verses. And now we come to this focus on Jesus Christ, verses 15 to 20 for this morning. And in one way, how do we speak about God in a service? How do I do this? The only way we can do it is through going in His Word and telling you about Jesus Christ. And so let's look at this passage. This is the one, Jesus Christ, who has made all things possible. Who is he? We need a lifetime for this. But here in a few minutes we have to do this description of who Jesus Christ is. And he's none other, and we'll see this, than the preeminent Jesus Christ. Now the word eminent means at the top of the field of expertise we've had a lot of those this past uh, pandemic yep we've had virologists we've had economists anything with an ist on it they've been telling us what they think these are the f- people supposedly in the top of their fields right they are eminent in their fields that's what the word means but jesus christ is preeminent. That word means there is no one or anyone or anything else that comes near him. He stands out in surpassing greatness above anything else. He is preeminent. Why is that important? Well, you see, what does Christ have to say today to a world in which humans think they're so clever? Humans think we can... Get the solution for a pandemic by making something which will help all of us. And they probably will, because God has granted us intelligence as humans. We can clone animals. That's old hat. We can alter the genetic makeup of plants and animals. Ha, history. We can blast astronauts into space. Again, this last week, (laughs) coming so easily now. We can plan journeys to distant Mars. We're watching that one. But the problem is with mankind, you see, we've we've got so big in our own eyes and God has got so small. And so, what does Christ say to us when we have issues facing us today like global warming, pandemics? This is a reality check for us this morning because this passage points to how big Jesus is and when we contrast ourselves to how big he is we get put back in our normal little place as human beings as his creation and so we come to a verse like verse 15 he is the image of the invisible God and so I've said he's the visible God Well, that kind of goes nearly against what I was taught as a little child. I know as a three, four-year-old, my dad taught us the children's catechism, Spurgeon's children's catechism. And one of those questions is this, can you see God? And as little boys, we all stood there and we said, no, I cannot see God. Why can't you see God? And the answer was because he's a spirit and doesn't have a body like men. I can still remember it. And that's so true. We can't see a spirit. We can't see God. He's invisible to us. And yet, even in hymns, we've just sung the old hymn, He dwells in light inaccessible. That's quoting from 1 Timothy 1.17. God lives in light, which is not. We can't get close to Him because the, that light is so bright. I brought my um, welder's helmet here today. I use it every now and then to Dave's disgust. And um, why do we have a welder's helmet? It's because when you're busy welding, this the light that is generated by that welding arc is so bright that if you look at it directly with your eyes, it actually burns your retina. And so we need really dark glass to be able to look at the light so that we can see through the, refle- through the outlines of that light what we're actually doing. don't know if you've ever looked at the sun when I was a little boy in my stupidity. Yes, I did. I looked at an eclipse. And now I've got a permanent little blind spot in one eye. It's dead there. Why? This light was so bright that it killed part of my eye. Now, that's just creations of the Lord. He dwells in light inaccessible. If a man sees God, he shall die, said the Old Testament. And so, remember the conversation with Moses up on the mountain? The Lord could only show Moses, after he had hidden him behind a rock, he could only show show Moses a part of God going by, and only the back part of God. Because if Moses saw God in all his brightness, he'd die. And just having seen the back part of God, Moses came down from that mountain, and his face was glowing to such a manner that the people were scared of him, and so he had to put a cover on his face. Our God dwells in light, inaccessible. You're starting to get the picture of who God is? Now, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. That sounds strange to us. How can something invisible have an image? Well, we don't understand Greek philosophy. The Colossians did because they'd heard it all. And in Greek philosophy, an image shared part of the reality of the physical object. So if you saw a picture of of a physical object, it shared the reality of being that real object. And maybe in a way, part of the thinking where they got that from was God said, don't make any graven image of me because if you do it, it won't measure up to who I really am. And you might come to believe that that image is who I am don't do it. But the Greeks believed if you saw the image, you, you were starting to see the real physical object. I guess it's a little bit like um, today when you look at our kids, all right? Now, this is good and bad. Some of our kids look a little bit like us. That's good and bad. We can kind of see who the parents are if we look at the kids, because they're the eyes, the mouth, something's there, the mannerisms. all right. So they partly reflect who the parents are. However, it says Christ is the full image of God. Hebrews 1.3 that we read. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. In other words, when we see Jesus, we see exactly what God looks like. The Colossian church hadn't seen Jesus, had they? No. But they'd been taught about Him. They'd learned all about his creator God. We're looking at that this morning. They'd learned that he's redeemer, that he's full of mercy, that he's full of love. And so Christ became visible to them through his actions. And therefore God became visible to them through Christ's actions. Do you get that? Because the beautiful truth is, the better we learn who Jesus is and what he does, the more we see him. And the more we see God, because He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. You guys can go with this, right? You're used to being Bible taught. So hang in there with us. He is the the image of the invisible God. In other words, He's the visible God to us. And that's why it's so important to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, because the more you have that relationship with Him, the more you will see Him, the more real He'll become to you, become to you and the more you'll see God. Romans 1.20 says this, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what he has made so that men are without excuse. You see, here's the scary thing as Christians. We human beings are also made in the image of God, right? Genesis 1. And so we reflect a little bit of who God is to the people we meet in the same way that God, Jesus reflects who God is, but not to the same extent, because we are very imperfect reflections of God. I about your life, I know mine. But Jesus Christ is the only God-sanctioned likeness of God, alright? That's the first characteristic, verse 15. Second one, He is Creator God. He is the firstborn of creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Now, this is really important that we understand what this little phrase firstborn means. He is the firstborn of creation. The literal translation of that word of is, He is the firstborn over all creation. So it doesn't mean that he's the first one to be created, as the JWs will teach. He's not a created being. He's the firstborn overall creation. It's speaking about his status. It's not speaking about a time sequence of creation. He's not the finest of all the created beings, as Eastern mysticism will teach us. He's not a part of His creation, as the pantheists would have us believe. The Old Testament taught that firstborn is about status. Psalm 89 verse 27 says this, I will also appoint Him, it's a messianic psalm, I will also appoint Him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Firstborn is preeminence. Status. And the next uh, uh, statement explains why Christ is preeminent over all creation. It says, all things were created in Him, through Him, and for Him. Very important. All things were created in Him, through Him, and for Him. You see, it's all about Jesus Christ. He created everything that exists. All creation Physical things, spiritual beings, everything. The green grass, the Galapagos' biggest tortoises, the genome, the galaxies, angelic beings, yes, even the spirits that rebelled against him, and even Satan himself. God created Satan as an angel of light, and then he fell. All are created beings. There's nothing that exists that isn't created by Him. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. You should know these verses really well. It says this In the beginning was the Word. Let me hear you. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through Him, and without Him was not anything made. That was made. Yes? And so he is the reason everything was created. Everything that was created and exists is there to show his glory and to give him glory. And so in the intricate makeup of a cell motor, I've never seen one. I've seen images of one. It's that thing which allows your muscle to move. The doctors can tell you more. That's all I know. It's intricate. And the Lord has made that. And when you look at the cell motor, it shouts out about a creator and a designer. There's no way that that little thing could have evolved. So one of my little hobbies in my shed, I've got an old clock and I'm trying to work out how clocks work. And there's also a bit of dust when I allow it to gather on the floor. Now there's no way that that dust could have somehow got together with a, some, I don't know how, spark of life and evolved into little cogs and then another cog and work out how these cogs will fit together so that later when, when I fix the clock, it'll all work. How? It's impossible. They all shout out creator, designer, not evolution. You've got to be, your mind has to be switched off by Satan if you're going to believe in evolution. Everything speaks about His majesty. Why? Because He's the creator God. Verse 17. He's the sustainer God. Look at what it says. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. You see, He keeps things going and allows everything to exist. This is the same God we're speaking about here. He's the spiritual glue and the spiritual gravity that holds everything together. And as some famous dead guy said, He also keeps the cosmos from becoming chaos. This is the Jesus Christ we're speaking about. You see, why is this important? Some of the Judaizers of the Colossae day believed that the whole cosmos would fly apart were it not for keeping the Jewish New Year festivals. And that's what they taught. Because by keeping those festivals... The the elements were being reconciled to one another every year and maintaining the harmony of the upper and the lower world. That's what they believed and taught actively. So we need to keep those festivals. Jesus plus. The Apostle Paul saying, no, Jesus only. He is the sustainer. He is the one that upholds everything. But he's more than just the glue holding everything. He's the basic operating system. We can understand that, right? You try running your computer without an operating system. It's just silicon. Jesus Christ is the operating system keeping life going. Everything in life. And everything exists because He exists. The universe is not self-sufficient. Take that, evolutionists. It isn't. If Christ was not there, it would stop immediately. People, are individuals, are not self-sustaining. doesn't matter how much we deceive ourselves into thinking that if Christ had to withdraw Himself and His hand from our lives, we would shrivel up and die into dust from whence we came. Christ sustains everything and everyone. And that's you and I through major pandemics too. He sustains all life. And that is why I shudder when our leaders want to take away life before birth. Because who's the giver of life? Jesus Christ. Who are they as political leaders to take life away? They are mere mortal dust. I shudder to think. And the next description we come to, it doesn't stop, you see. It brings this description of this cosmic Creator God down to this earth where blood flows from a body nailed on a cross. Why? It says He is God of the church. The same God of the heavens is head of the church. You and I sitting here together in a building, Wong East. The building is not the church. You are the church. And who is our head? Creator God. Jesus Christ is our head. And at His resurrection, after men had killed Him, His own creations put Him to death because He allowed them to. At His resurrection, Jesus Christ was lifted up to the right hand of God as the glorified Son of Man, the Lord of the church. And as the head of the church, we share in that resurrected life of His. He is the head. We are the limbs. How can the limbs exist when the head is no longer there? right? Paul goes on about that in 1 Corinthians and in Romans 12. But Jesus is the directing and the controlling power to which all the limbs must submit. He is the one who brings unity and purpose to the church. And we'll find the application of that as we go through in the book of Colossians. We move on. Verse 18. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, That in everything he might be preeminent. So he's the risen God. Think about that statement. Jesus is the risen God. When they killed Jesus Christ on the cross, they thought it was over. But who holds life in his hands? The one who created the stars and the galaxies. And after three days, he became alive because he is God. Death could not keep him down. When he emerged from the tomb, he was the firstborn from the dead. Was he the first one to ever be resurrected? No, Old Testament has examples of people resurrected. So it can't be that. We're back to our little word firstborn, right? In status, he is the preeminent one from the dead. You get it? It's beautiful when the maths all comes together. And when he emerged from the tomb, victorious over death, he vindicated, he proved his claim as the source of life itself. Because he rose from dead. Those in him who die will also rise like him. And we will rise incorruptible, never to taste death again. There's one who believes me. Okay, John said this. Listen now. John 14, 19. Because I live, says Jesus, you also will live. Anyone else believe that? Oh, good. There's a few. Fantastic. And so we can say, death, where's your sting? Jesus Christ went before. He was resurrected. I'm in him. Therefore, I will not taste death again when I rise from the dead. I will rise incorruptible. And I'll live forever with Him. Because of Him. Yes, He is the risen God. Verse 19, we move on. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is fully God. Why is this important? Because the Judaizers and the Greek mythology was teaching that Jesus isn't the fu- isn't fully God. You need other things. They were teaching that you need angelic intermediaries as well greek philosophers were teaching that you need other experiences of spiritual life plus jesus yes but the angels and they'll intercede for you he is fully god the greek word and i don't have to say that the meaning for the greek word is complete he is complete god it's the word which refers to the crew of a ship. When every single person appointed to that journey were in place, the full complement of crew were on board. It was complete. He is the complete God. He is fully God. You see, you only need Jesus Christ to have God, is what Paul's saying. You need nothing else to make you a better Christian. Please hear me. There are other religions who will come to you and tell you lies. And they will say, you need these experiences if you want to be a real Christian. You need this and that. You need an intermediary. You need Mother Mary to pray for you. No, you don't. You need Jesus Christ only. And you're right in His presence because He's with you and in you. He's Lord of creation but he's Lord of the church, he's Lord of the creation, he's Lord of the new creation. Same God, Jesus Christ. And what's the implication of this for you and I? It means he must be Lord in the lives of his own without no rival. There can be no rival to Jesus Christ. He has to be the big God whom we worship and adore, not a little God with other gods surrounding. He is big god. The second part of that word means that Christ, uh, God dwells in him as a permanent residence of God. Jesus was never any less god when he was on this earth and that was one of the teachings coming out to. He was a teacher, a good teacher, but not god. Remember, um, those of you who were on dial-in radio—I'm uh, sorry, dial services—we did that passage in John, chapter eight, Jesus and the Pharisees. And I shudder when I think that because they didn't believe this truth—that He is fully God—when He claimed to be fully God, He said, "I am God." What did they want to do? They wanted to stone God with rocks. That stoning hasn't stopped today. It's still carrying on. But God hasn't changed. He is still this almighty, full God, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, verse 20. And through him... For in him all the fullness of God was was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Christ. You see, here's the truth of this thought, because because the Son is the dwelling place of the fullness of God, only he, Jesus Christ, is able to be the agent who brings about atonement. You got that? It is God who chooses to restore the disharmony created by sin in nature and in man. But Jesus Christ is the only one who can bring these things back into the presence of God and have us all forgiven and have His creation restored. Only God can do the restoration work. Only He can do it. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the Greek phrase for reconcile indicates two things. There's a decisive act that has to happen, and a once-for-all act that has to happen when when Jesus reconciles. What's What's the decisive act? Christ had to die to pay for sin. Blood had to be shed to pay for sin and to cover it. Decisively. And the once for all, it was a one-off. Never necessary to be repeated payment for sin because no one else can do it. And what he does the first time, he does perfectly. He doesn't do a half job. And when he made atonement for us, he said, it is finished. My work is done. And what was the result of that? It made peace between God and man. Once I was at war with God, now I am at peace with God. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what He's done. He did it. Jesus Christ, the reconciling God, God paid God for my sins. Only God could pay God for my sin. But that's not all. The created order is always also affected by this. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 to 24. Listen to what it says. This is what we look forward to. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So from the fall of man, Genesis 3 The whole of creation has been groaning in anguish because it's also suffering under the effects of sin. You only need to look at our world and you'll see the effects, right? Global warming, deforestation, all kinds of stuff happening because of man's sin and greed. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit... Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Jesus Christ will restore us. And He's already started that work in you and I, and He will perfect that work in you and I. But one day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, He will perfect His creation too. And creation will no more moan because He's going to recreate. Creation, Scripture teaches us over and over. We haven't got time to go and look at all those. now. But note, there's one exception. Look at that verse, verse 20. Nowhere does he mention, as he does earlier in that passage, that, he w- that Jesus Christ will bring into harmony the things under the earth. What are the things under the earth? Satan. Those who serve Satan and any who reject Jesus Christ, they will not be reconciled with God. But they will bow the knee to Jesus Christ, Philippians 2.10, and say, yes, He is God. But I remain unsaved. And I go into the judgment left for me. I appeal to you. If you still do not know Jesus Christ, there is still time. He hasn't reappeared yet, but he's imminent in coming. Come to Jesus Christ, this great creator God that we've been looking at. So let's look at who God is in summary. He's the visible God. He's the creator God. He's the sustainer God. He's the God of the church. He's the risen God, fully God, and he's the reconciling God. God. And so I want to appeal to you this morning in light of who Jesus Christ is, consider Jesus Christ. Think about how you think about him. Is he a big God in your eyes? What an awesome God we serve. But there are implications for you and I. And one of the implications is this if Christ is the fullness of God revealed, then you and I will not find fullness or real satisfaction in anything or anyone else outside of Him. Doesn't matter how you chase anything else, you will still have a vacuum in you. As a believer, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Keep Him big in your eyes. Otherwise, your heart will start chasing other things to fill that vacuum. And... If Jesus Christ is supreme over everything else, then don't allow your hope in Him to be shaken when it's challenged by circumstances or even when you're belittled for your faith. Jesus Christ reigns supreme, God above all. Keep your hope in Him. And second implication is this. If you are Christ's, and I believe Most of you sitting here are Jesus Christ, but I can't read your heart. Then you've been reconciled to God through Christ by grace. And we'll look at that next week. You are made in the image of God. And I touched on this earlier. And here's the challenge. You may be the only image of Jesus Christ that your workplace colleagues see. You may be the only image of Jesus Christ that the shopkeeper sees when you interact with them. You may be the only image of Jesus Christ that that difficult person that you deal with sees. What is the image of God they see in you? And so the challenge to us is how can we make Christ preeminent in our lives this week? In my home life? In my personal life? In my business life? How do I make Christ preeminent in my recreation, in my social life, in my online life? There's so many facets to us now. How do we keep Christ preeminent above all? Because here's the truth. If Christ is not Lord of all, he cannot be Lord at all. He won't won't give in to second place. He must be Lord of all, to be Lord at all in your life. And so as we face issues today, will science give us the answers? Yes, they'll give us lots of answers. Yep. But they can only describe and analyze what's already there. Science can't give the answers to the question why things are there. C.S. Lewis put it, and these are my closing words, he put it this way, he said, in the whole history of the universe, the laws of nature have never produced a single event. Think about that. In the whole history of the universe, the laws of nature have never produced a single event. Rather, they are the pattern to which every event must conform, provided only That it can be induced to happen. So an event has to be induced to happen, and then when it happens, it must perform according to the laws of nature. What event went contra nature, and contra the laws of nature? The death of an obscure Jew. In a, on a seemingly God-forsaken little hillock in the backwater of a Roman Empire. didn't attract any notice from the historians of the day. It attracts no notice from society today. But that event induced the reconciliation, the bringing together again of heaven and earth. And yes, sin has defaced Christ's work in creation, But Christ came to undo those consequences and to bring that universe back into harmony with the God of the universe. This is the God I serve. This is the God in whom I put my hope. And I pray you do the same as church together. Let's serve this great, big, awesome, marvelous, everlasting God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for passages like this in your word, which just put us back in perspective. Because, Lord, without your words, we get such big heads so quickly. Thank you for scaling us back to the creations that we are, created by an awesome, majestic, powerful word-speaking and creating God. Lord, thank you for this perspective. But thank you too for that truth. Which is that you love us. Those little specks of your creation. And Lord, you love us with an everlasting love. And you've brought us to not even knowing about you. And being lost in a state of sin. To being people filled with new life. And you breathe that life into us. And say now, my creation's. Follow me and serve me. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. You are God. Help us now live our lives this week in reality of the big God we serve. So that we won't be overcome by circumstances, by predictions, by all the doom prophets. We would keep fear at bay and serve the living God with the living hope. And breathe out and speak out that hope to those around us so that they can, too, meet this awesome Jesus Christ, God himself. Help us in this, we pray, through your spirit. Amen.